In Southeast Agnet's Ag and Review for the week ending March the 17th, well, after a second confirmed case of highly pathogenic H7N9 avian influenza in a commercial breeder flock in Lincoln County, Tennessee, and a confirmed low pathogenic H7N9 avian influenza case in Jackson County, Alabama, poultry producers across the southeast are being urged by officials to monitor their birds closely. The strain found in Tennessee is the same as the one previously confirmed in that state, and the flock of 55,000 chickens were depopulated. The sample collected from a guinea fowl at the flea market in Jackson County, Alabama, tested positive for low pathogenic avian influenza. But due to this and two other investigations of AI in North Alabama, state veterinarian Dr. Tony Frazier says a stop movement order was issued. You know, we want to cast our protective net as wide as we can Avian influenza is serious. There's no vaccine available. There's no treatment for it. And our backyard folks are are vulnerable. Our hobby farmers are susceptible to it, as well as our commercial folks. So we're concerned about all segments of the poultry industry in Alabama. But officials across the southeast continue to remind all poultry owners and producers to adhere to the biosecurity guidelines and, again, monitor your birds closely. If they do show unusual signs of disease or flocks experience unexplained mortalities, contact your state Department of Agriculture. Well, damage assessments to peaches and other southeastern crops will continue for weeks in the aftermath of the week's freeze event. Rod Bain has the first part of this story. It will be weeks before southeastern crop growers know the full extent of freeze damage from this week's events, perhaps as early as USDA's first crop progress report of the year. That according to USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. As we move to Monday, April 3rd, that may be our first glimpse on just what has transpired with this mid-March cold outbreak. Rippey says the Thursday early morning hours in much of the southeast recorded the coldest temperatures of this outbreak, which potentially means... It does not look particularly good for some of the early bloomers, such as peaches. Such as South Carolina's peach crop, with orchards reporting low temperatures in the high teens to low 20s. Even central Georgia peach orchards have reported lows in the mid-20s or colder during the freeze event. So not a good picture, unfortunately, for the peach crop that was pushed along by this record-setting February warmth. Additional crops that could be impacted by this freeze event include blueberries and nursery-raised plants. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Rod. And USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says blooming fruit like blueberries, peaches, and nursery plants are among the crops that could be adversely impacted. For other crops of concern, even into blueberry country, and a lot of the blueberries in the southeast come out of Florida and southeastern Georgia, roughly almost a quarter of the U.S. crop coming from those two states. Even into southeastern Georgia, there have been some reports of temperatures as low as the mid to upper 20s. Blueberry skins are a little bit more protective than young peaches, but still, producers are going to have to monitor those blueberry crops for signs of freeze scarring or freeze damage to the crop as we move forward. Beyond the fruits, we do have to be concerned with nursery crops. Historically, these spring freezes following warmth are very damaging to nursery crops. They are, in many cases, not planted in the ground. They're in pots. They're exposed. They're outside and much more susceptible to damage when cold, dry air hits, especially when windy weather hits with it, which happened early in this outbreak. In other news, Tyron Spearman has an update concerning a slight change in the latest peanut supply report. Each month, the peanut supply and disappearance is issued by USDA on how many peanuts are in stock and how many are planned for the new coming year. The only change this past month was a slight increase in domestic food consumption. 
but they are still estimating now that we produced in 2016 2,842,000 tons of peanuts. That's harvesting 1,547,000 acres, averaging about 3,675 pounds per acre this past year. The carry forward, they estimate, is going to be about 857,000 tons. Those are peanuts that get us from August all the way to the new crop, which starts arriving about October. The domestic food use, they say, is is predicted to increase 1.9%. Currently, it is up 1.3%. Exports, they say, from USDA is predicted to decrease slightly this year, about 13%. But the present levels are running up 12.1%. So if we have enough peanuts to get to the new crop, we will have another banner year in peanut sales. Markets are holding strong. Old crop now selling for about $500 per ton. That's on the flex contract and the minimax contract. One as high as $508, one at $500. New crop uh, going into 2017, contracts are running about $450 to $475 per ton. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast Agnet. Kathy Isom gives us many reasons to love cabbage and not just for St. Patrick's Day. We already knew that cabbage goes well with corned beef on St. Patrick's Day, but what many of us may not know are the amazing health benefits cabbage has going beyond basic nutrition. So much so, you'll want to eat it more than once a year. In fact, eating cabbage could be one of the greatest things you could do for your body. Cabbage is great for weight loss at just 33 calories per cup. It could also be used to help lower your cholesterol. With so much vitamin C in it, great for the immune system. It's been called a cancer fighter because it contains a sulfur compound. Cabbage is said to reduce inflammation, improve brain health, heal ulcers, clear skin, and is a hangover cure. This ought to come in handy after St. Patrick's Day. The high fiber content of cabbage helps to absorb the alcohol. Just boil the cabbage and save the juice for drinking. Headaches can also be cured by using the leaves of cabbage in a warm compress. Aside from being good for your body, it's good for your pocketbook too. It's the second most economical cooked veggie next to potatoes. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet. Everett Griner talks about storms destroying 115-year-old trees. It wasn't a big storm, and it wasn't widespread, but it was a bad one. Struck a small area of southwest Georgia back in early January. Television covered the damage to the whole area extensively for several days, but there was no mention of one of the costliest parts of that whole storm. It struck Georgia's most productive pecan region. Several thousand trees were either blown down or severely damaged. Records reveal that some of those trees were planted in 1902. They produced over 100 years of crops. Now, it's going to take weeks to assess the total damage to all of the trees, but it'll take years to replace them. Hundreds of those that survived the storm had heavy losses to limbs, so the total damage will take years to replace it and may never be known. Just conclude it's in the millions. And that's Ag Review for today. Everett Griner, Southeast Agnet. And a quick note, the Agriculture Council of America is hosting National Agriculture Day coming up Tuesday, March 21st. It'll mark the 44th anniversary of National Ag Day, which is celebrated in classrooms and communities across the country. You can learn more about that and other reports in this past week on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.